Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, and I'm delighted to be joined this morning by Christopher Beasley, Paul Wheelock and Gav Buckland to chew the fat over all things Everton. It's been quite the week for the Blues with takeover talk, transfer talk, and plenty, and the fixtures being released, of course, for the new Premier League season. But there's only one place to start, and that's with the latest in the transfer front. And Chris, I'll come to you first. Yeah. One man who is now being linked with a move away from the Blues, somewhat disappointingly, but to be expected, I suppose, is Richarlison. You wrote yesterday about Chelsea's interest, yeah. given the new owner, given the you know the back and Thomas Tuchel was expected to have this summer. These types of rumours are always going to come for the Blues, where not be because Richarlison, like we've seen ourselves over the last couple of seasons, he's been in fine form and, and he, he deservedly is to be linked with such big clubs, isn't he? Yeah, it, it, it's not come as a surprise, has it? I mean, I know Michael Ball said to me he was actually surprised in a good way that Richarlison had stuck along, around for as, as long as he as he did. And that's why we're seeing teams who are in the, pre, sorry, the Champions League being linked with his signature. I think there's a begrudging acceptance amongst many Evertonians, that given that he has two years left on his current contract and he doesn't want to extend that. This is um, the window... Um, that perhaps do business, but um, I understand as of yesterday that Chelsea's interest is genuine. He is somebody they are seriously considering looking at. It depends on Lukaku going back to Inter on loan, but that one seems like that's almost a done deal, so that should be taken care of soon. But I think that the obviously we're going to go on to this with with all of us now. The the, the main sort of issue that Evertonians are having with a lot of this is the is the numbers that are being quoted. I mean. Obviously, all deals get negotiated, um, but um, people, not just um, just over 50 million, which I think is derisory, considering it's little more than what Everton actually potentially pays for him with, with the add ons. But um, people are almost talking like that, surprised like that. that that's um, a, a lot of money. Um, I would, if I were Everton, I'd be asking for much more than that. Maybe it's one we're gonna, we're gonna go back to, but um, you know, given that um, he's Brazil's um sense forward on a regular basis going to the World Cup, regular Brazil international, an established Premier League performer, somebody who's been over here for five years now, four years at Everton, double figures and three out those four years. And if we just point to Jack Grealish last summer, the fact that Manchester City paid £100 million for him, he's someone who's never even hit double figures in the Premier League. Yet people are talking about fifty millions a lot for Rashalis, and I think that's insulting to Everton. So I think there's a, there's a deal to be done if somebody offers uh, the, the going rate for, for the player, and I certainly don't think that Everton should be bullied into um, selling them on the cheap. Gav Bees described the fifty million valuation that's been reported as insulting. Do you go along with that? Do you agree? Do you think Everton needs to be holding out for a lot, lot more this summer? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but assuming that forty million was a fair price in two thousand and seventeen. By the way, what happens if we did overpaid in two thousand and seventeen? Um, so yeah, oh yeah, mate, 
makes sense, doesn't it? Really, forty to fifty, irrespective of the fact that we might have overpaid, is is a, is not a great increase, is it? Really, you're talking, you're talking maybe sixty. But there's a, there's a few things going on here, isn't it? I mean, it's still, it's still, you've got to find somebody to buy, you know, purchase them at, at that price. And it, you need, it's a bit like Spurs, isn't it? Really, you want the club who's got to buy will want to pay sixty million. It'll be like a guaranteed start. It'd be vital for them, wouldn't it? Really, that's why I would imagine say Spurs were only prepared to pay fifty, but whatever the talk was, because they've already got some Kane. Up there, haven't he? Um, so he's an add-on to them, really. So um, I think, yeah, regarding the price, I think fifty is too low. Sixty will probably be reasonably acceptable, and I think that would be about about right. To be honest with you, um, there's a different market now because before before uh, before COVID and after COVID, they're two completely different transfer markets, aren't we? Aren't they? So. There's also that to be taken into account. So I think 60 for me, which a lot of that will be profit anyway, because obviously we've we've amortized this, you know, that word amortized now, podcast, God bless us. Um, mm-hmm. amortized this transfer fee over the last four years. So a lot of that be profit. I know there's an add-on, isn't it, for for Watford? Um yeah, but 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 sixty for me. The only thing I say about Greer is Chris he's, he's not really a striker, not like but like is he really with the Charles and he's a creator, isn't he? Uh Grealish. Um but yeah, the point is the point I do agree with fifty is far too low. Sixty. I'm not sure you get up to seventy for a player with no Champions League experience, by the way. I think that's the other thing to take into account, isn't it, really? Paul, is it is a testament though to Richardson? Given Everton struggles over the last couple of years, and you know certainly last season, and the battle against relegation, that even you know despite the struggles, he's still being linked with the types of teams. As we've heard PSG mentioned it'd be fast, Real Madrid, you know Tottenham, you know now Chelsea. It's a testament to him almost as a player that he's still, despite his, his own his team struggles, getting mentioned in them the brackets with them with the big name plays and heads of big summer. No, without without question, you know, and it, it, it's deserved. I know there's been times over this this four years in Everton that I've wondered whether he was uh, clinical enough to take his game to that next level. But the same could still be said about someone like Raheem Sterling now. And I just think if he goes to a top four team, sadly, which does seem to be the case, or if not top four team in this country, you know, a top team like Paris Saint-Germain or Real Madrid, he'll score got more goals naturally because he's got better players around him. Uh, I, I think he is, you know, a Champions League player in waiting, really. The fact that he's now the regular number nine or one of the three players up for up front for Brazil speaks volumes as well. And it, it, it's sad that we're probably having to have this discussion because I'm pretty sure before Ancelotti was appointed and even last summer, it seems to have given the club an extra year's grace to see what, see what we could have done uh, in the campaign just gone, that he has given Everton enough time to to try and, if not hit the heights of a top four finish, but to be pushing closer to that. So, yeah, he, he's gave everything for the for this club. You know, there's there's no question about that. And I, I wouldn't begrudge him a move if he did get a, a chance to go and join him, a Madrid or a Paris Saint-Germain, but it would stick in the throat a little bit if it was a, a Chelsea or a Tottenham. But as Gav said there, I think if, if we were to get an offer closer to 60 million, I think it would be very hard to send down given the uh, the financial situation of the club. And, and and as you rightly said there, Connor, 
you know, it's credit to him that he's getting linked with these clubs, and I think it would be, it'd be hard, hard push to deny him that kind of move as well. But do you think almost Everton are paying the price for the financial situation they find themselves in? In in the, in terms of you know, it's well documented the clubs have FFE problems, you know, restrictions around spending, etc. That clubs almost you know take pity on them in terms of, you know. The, the report in the national press is Chelsea was offered 50 million. Are they doing that because they think Everton are desperate and will, will look to cash in straight away because of the situation they find themselves in, the need? Obviously, yeah. that you know, everyone knows that Frank Lampard needs to overhaul the squad somehow this summer to avoid the repeat of last season. Yeah, I think there is a certain amount of um, exploitation possibly being uh, being carried out here. Um, maybe they're being briefed, you know, the, the press down in, in London by the, the London club say, look, you know, let's, let's try it on with, with Everton. Almost like you said, the fact that they've been uh, not sailing close to the wind, but it's known that they didn't have a lot of rigor room last summer with the financial fair play. And obviously the club have always been adamant that they're um, liaising with the Premier League on a regular basis and not just over the past 12 months, but for a number of years now, because they, they know that, that there wasn't a lot of, of scope, a lot of sort of funds available to play with, not because obviously the, the owner didn't have it, but to stay within the financial fair play restrictions. But I know I, I take Gab's point about obviously the different market now after um, the, uh, the coronavirus, but um, obviously, as I said before, the, the Grealish fee was post covid as well and if you look at chelsea are the latest ones to be sort of to be to be linked with uh Richarlis, when we understand that like i said the the interest is genuine um i mean they paid over 70 million for both kepper and for for kai havertz again havertz was was havertz i think was that was that pre-covid i'm not, I'm not sure but over 70 million twice there on players who didn't have any premier league experience you always pay that um, premium for players who have obviously proven that he can do it in England. Richardson's been over there for five years now. You know, he scored three, like I said, three, uh, double figures in the Premier League three out of the four years, primarily as a left winger. I know he plays up top sometimes. Primarily out on the wing, like Grealish. And I think Grealish had actually spent, in his four years previous to going to City, only the last two were Premier League, two before that were Championship. So I just think that Everton have, Potentially, I mean, like I said, Everton could turn around now and say, well, no, if nobody's like the same way that Tottenham did with Harry Kane last summer, ironically, because obviously that was linked with, with Grealish, um, the fact that City paid 100 million for him. When nobody was prepared to pay the going rate for Kane, Kane stayed put. And maybe that ends up being the case if nobody's prepared to satisfactorily compensate Everton for Richarlison. You might even be better off holding on to him and even losing him for nothing in two years' time. If nobody is prepared to pay what you deem to be an acceptable fee this summer, because uh, to take a, a, a phrase from the local parlance, you, you don't want your kecks pulled down over this one with, with Richardson because you know he's the club's most valuable asset in in many respects. We know he's a player who um, won for the big occasion, a real fans' favourite. And like I said, although there's a begrudging acceptance that if if somebody does come calling for him, that he might move on this summer. I just feel that they. they, they They've got to squeeze as much out of him as as, as they can get, and that, like I said, as I think Gav's already alluded to, the sell-on clause with Watford. I mean, a fee just just north of fifty million. You, you you're hardly going to get any sort of profit at all on him. So, I think there is, I, I, you know, maybe Evertonians are sort of right to sort of feel that there's a sort of a, a whispering campaign against him. Here, sort of the same way that Neville Southall alluded to in the relegation fight. I mean, there's. So many people, maybe in the national media, who don't have Everton's interests at heart, and this sort of um, 
I don't know, um, underestimating Everton in, in this respect, possibly. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Gav, one thing that you maybe could argue is is a is a sign of the post-COVID transfer window, but saying that the Tottenham deal and the Chelsea deal, they've both kind of also been linked with getting plays in return of Everton. Cashan obviously plays in return of Pulisich was one mentioned last night. Conor Gallagher's another player being mentioned. Obviously, it's well documented that Frank Lampard's obviously an admirer of the midfielder. Do you think that would soften the blow for the Blues if they were to get you know, Tottenham, does it Tottenham deal for instance, like Lucas, Lucas Moore, I mentioned, as someone possibly coming to Goodison? Would that soften the blow if Everton were able to get one or two plays in, as well as some cash for Richarlison if the Brazilian was to depart? Uh, depends what the cash is in the first place. If it was £55 million plus play, a player, yeah, if it was £35 million plus player, no. So it's still, it's still the same thing, isn't it? Um, the only thing about what you mentioned there is, is obviously, I think one of the areas is, is a creative midfielder, isn't it? That we're just crying out for. And if a Chelsea deal did involve Conor Gallagher, then that would be a, you know, that would be an advantage, wouldn't it? But you've got to have the cash, haven't you? You know, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that people are having this off, but it's just the fact that we are. We need the cash, don't we? <laughs> they need the cash. And if people are going to take advantage of that, that's what happens to you in business, unfortunately. If they know you've got to sell, they'll, they'll, and they, they know it, they will take advantage of that. It's just, just business, isn't it? And that's one of the, that's one of the issue, issues you have when we get into our, the, the poor financial states that we, we've been under for the past few years. And at, at some point, we're going to have to sell somebody, aren't we? For two reasons, a for you know profits and sustainability, and two to generate cash to buy other players. So, I think if we sit at Richarlison, that means you sell Calvert Lewin, doesn't it? You know, I mean, it's it's one's got to go. I mean, because we've only got three saleable assets, haven't we, at the club, the goalkeeper and the two strikers? So, yeah, it's just be be interesting to see what happens there. And I think Chris said it's the ideal time, isn't it, to sell Richarlison? I think. Um, but clubs, clubs have our financial position, so they'll take advantage of that, won't they? I mean, what what ideally what you want is you want two or three clubs chasing them, don't you? At the same time, that's what you want. But I don't think that's happening, is it really? Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see. But as for the players, Conor Gallagher, yeah, but you've got to have the cash as well, uh, Conor. You know, Paul, this this is all. This is is a sad kind of episode, isn't it, for the position Everton find themselves in. You know, years of mismanagement have really come back to haunt the club, and and the fact that you know the one of the best plays, one of the most you know appreciated plays by the fans for a long time, is potentially going to leave the club for a, you know possibly a knockdown price, due to the club's financial position, due to the need to sell, due to the need to overhaul the squad, is is probably the most glaring you know sight we've seen of me of, of the far habashiri mismanagement over the last 
five to five to eight years since he comes to the club. Yeah, yeah, without question. You know, if, if you're not playing Champions League football regularly or battling for trophies or Europa League, you, your best players are always in danger of being, you know, pick, uh, you know, cherry picked by you know the, the leading clubs. But and that's still the case here with Richardson. But that that's that that's the thing with this. Yeah, of course, as fans. Do, we do not want to lose to Richarlison, but really it seems to be almost a necessity because you cannot make the kind of losses that we've made in years gone by and wasted the, the millions and millions that we've wasted and, and not pay a price for it. And and that's why I know Adam did a pretty strong piece, didn't he, at the end of the, end of the season. Uh, and it, it hit a nail on the head, really, because even though there were fantastic scenes after the Crystal Palace game and the players and Frank Lampard, and obviously the fans most importantly, uh, deserved a lot of credit for helping get the team over the line and survive in the Premier League. You know, it can't mask what's happened these last couple of years and really it's gonna it's gonna take a long it's gonna take a good couple of years, probably four, five, six transfer windows to get back on an even keel and it is sad that it's come to, come to this, but try and be a bit more positive. This is what we've got, you know, if, if we're going to try and develop the club on a, in a different foot now, this is what we've got to do. We've got to bring in players like Richarlison and get three or four good years out of them. And if it doesn't leave Everton to success, then you do get a good price for them. And I still think, as I say, 60 million would be a good price. I think he could get more, but the fact that he's got two years two years left on his contract is not probably in our favour either. But the, other, the big thing is there's no getting away from it. I think the club need this, you know, you see other clubs now have started the business someone like Aston Villa you would see maybe as a bit of a competitor it, I know it looks like we've got Tarkowski or Tarkowski is in the bag but obviously he's a free transfer it, it, to me the feeling is that we need to sell a Richarlison or a Calvert-Lewin and it seems to be the interest more than Richarlison at the moment uh, to set to set him you know set in place what, what's to follow with Frank Lampard he needs the money as well you know the days where Machiari would just bankroll managers no longer here. So yeah, you're right, Connor. It is it is a sad indictment, really. Bees, we all just touched on him there and, and James Tarkovsky, and there's been a lot of talk and continues to be a lot of talk around him. Moving to Everton, you know, I hope we understand the real, you know, his, his deal is in place and, and he yeah. will be a player. But obviously you've done something again last week and you discovered why it's been all all quiet on the Everton front and why there's been no official confirmation that a deal has been agreed and, and what we can expect and the reasons were pretty interesting these weren't they what you what you uncovered yeah <laughs> yes um i understand i mean uh, paul knows about this as well as you know various sources that we've got um that a deal is is done for james tarkowski um it's 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 no secret that he was on his way out of burnley um he was he was on the retain and release released list as of one I think of the 14 players who were being let go and they'd indicated on that he told them even several weeks ago that um he, he wouldn't be re-signing that he was he was looking for a, a, a fresh challenge so it, we all know he was leaving Burnley it's become kind of an open secret that Everton were in poor position and it, it, it seems that to my understanding that a, a deal has been done now but they're yeah they're, they're, keep, they're keeping quiet given the delicate situation which currently exists between uh, Everton and Burnley, and obviously that alludes, I guess, to the uh, the relegation battle between the two clubs. So not just an on-field rivalry there, but obviously um, it, as soon as, uh, well, the day after Everton had um, secured their Premier League status, so was that talk, wasn't there, at the time of Burnley and Leeds 
potential uh, challenge to 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 Everton's um, finances. But again, as Everton are adamant that they have uh, done everything by the book, liaised with the Premier League um, at, at every turn, and uh, they said people are, are welcome to to come and have a look because um, they've got nothing to hide. But yeah, given that delicate situation, we believe that's the reason why there's been no official confirmation as of yet but um i mean come the end of the month obviously he becomes officially out of contract at burnley anyway so come july and the, and the players return i would be expect him to have joined up by with frank Lampard's uh, squad for the start of pre-season training gav beach just touched on the start of pre-season training there which isn't very which isn't far away it's a couple of weeks before the blues are returned back to finch farm if you're frank lampard sitting here now are you a little bit nervous that things aren't maybe perhaps moving as, as fast as what you would have liked and it's still a little bit you know nervous that one of your big stars who you probably will have to leave the club back before they lose it to still remains and you've not been able to bring anyone by you know free agent james Larkowski in uh i don't know on the basis that there's lots of stuff going on that you're not aware of aren't you you know what i mean there's there's stuff going on behind the scenes and progress being made about deals or players or inquiries made that actually we're not possibly you know possibly not aware of that that club officials are so got to take that into account would i be nervous maybe not uh, at this moment in time but was it still still relatively early i think we're just getting over the end of last season never mind getting back to pre-season that was not that far away it's not that far away to start no, no. Far away. yeah i still was we're still in recovery mode, aren't we, from mm. the end of the last campaign? I think we'll be recovering for a long time with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think if you get Tarkovsky in, and as long as there's progress being made, but this goes back to the original point, isn't it? We need to sell somebody. And the, long, the longer in the transfer when the, the Charleston or somebody that we need to sell is still at Everton, that reduces their value even further. So... I'd be that that's I'd be more I'd be more nervous perhaps if I was find that we've not sold anybody than brought anybody in. That that's but that that'd be my concern because everything's dependent on us selling somebody. You know, so that it's the start of this pod, isn't it? That's what I'd be concerned about. Paul, in an ideal situation, you know, as an Everton fan, obviously they'd love no one to leave and the best place to remain and something to push on to Frank Lampard. But do you think if Everton fans had a choice between one of the three, you know, Don McCarver, Lewin, Richardson, or Jordan Pickford leaving in the summer and them three remaining, but there being no real business coming in and the squad stays as it is, or one of them has to leave and, and, and the overhaul begins, what way would you be sized on? Because obviously, the longer this goes on, and if Everton, all three of them remain, the less likely is that Everton will be as active as what people would hope for in the transfer window. I think, personally speaking, I think one has to go because I think it's got to allow Frank to, to stamp his mark on this squad, really. Because, you know, with the greatest respect in the world, they, they did the business at the end, or they did what they needed to do at the end of the last season. But for too long, the vast majority of this squad have, have underperformed. So it does need a bit of a, a, a clean sweep. And we've got to see what a true Frank Lampard team looks like going forward, obviously. When he came in, he, he, you could see he had a certain idea about how he wanted to play. And then we had games like Tottenham away, where I think the penny dropped eventually, didn't have to Burnley, like 
that now's the time, maybe not for philosophy, now is the time for just getting the points needed. But going forward, I don't think he'll want to play like that all the time. And I'm I'm not sure we've got the players in to do that, really. Uh, so he, he is going to have to bring players in. And, I've, and as I say, I think it's just a factor of, of where the club is at the moment that we, we do have to sell. I'd be concerned. Of the three, I think Richarlison's the most saleable asset because I think he's had such a strong end to the season. You know, he's he's a Brazil international. That, that Chelsea have come into the mix. Tottenham clearly have been interested as well from Chris's story about how, how interested Chelsea are. That may help us. It doesn't sound like there's a, a string of clubs knocking down the door for him. But the fact that those two uh, could be in the mix could be beneficial to us if we are looking for a big sale because Chelsea have got new owners. Tuchel will want money to spend. And obviously... Conte, you appoint a manager like Conte at Tottenham, you're not going to back him, really. Uh, you, you've got to back him if you're going to appoint a manager like that. So, the, probably the least person I want to lose is Richarlison. But I think it's it, it's it's the one that will happen. Because I, I think with Calvert-Lewin, clearly a talented striker who's had a, a very difficult season for a number of reasons, personally and professionally, it sounds. Uh, but bar from... Newcastle, is there going to be a market for him at the moment? It looks like Arsenal signed Jesus and as good as Pickford's been for a good, a long time for England, a good two seasons for Everton now as well. I just wonder if there's a market for him either. So I'm all, I hate to say because I absolutely love the Charleston, I really do, but I'm kind of like settled in my mind with it now that he's the player who will have to leave. And as Chris was saying at the start of the podcast, as long as we get a good price for him, because I do think fifty million is is not right at all. But I, as as much as I'd hate to see him leave, the squad needs freshening up. And if the only way we can freshen up the squad is by selling a player, I think that's the way it'll have to be. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Unfortunately, talk off Chelsea is going to continue. Because the lovely Premier League fixture computer lose hmm. an opening game of the new season against Thomas Tuchel's side of Goodison Park, which has been which is scheduled to be played on Saturday the sixth of August for a five thirty kickoff live on Sky Sports. Bees, you're obviously covering the fixture release last Thursday for the yeah. Apple. It's always a big day. I don't know why, because it's just you know <laughs> it's teams playing each other. You know, I don't really and never really understand the hype. But was you excited when you saw the fixed list drop and, and the Blues are being handed Chelsea first game of the season? I don't know if excitement is, is the right word. Possibly. It would add another layer of intrigue, wouldn't it, if Richarlison did end up going to Chelsea, given that you know, so recently um, he, he scored that that incredible uh, winner for Everton against Chelsea, the, you know, the coolest man in Goodison Park to take that chance. And obviously the end of the flare incidents and all, all that went on with that. So... And the dog, please don't forget the dog outside. Of course, yeah, yeah, dogs of war. Um, the, um, yeah, uh, it would be quite surreal, wouldn't it? I don't know be how, um, how Evertonians would take it, but um, yeah, yeah, if he was to potentially make his Chelsea debut in, in, that, in that in that evening kickoff, but whatever happens to Richarlison, big game to start the season with for Everton. Um, one 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 of the, uh, the you know the the. the the regular challengers for the top of the Premier League, but I mean it's a fixture that Everton have, have won for the past four seasons. Um, um, one of them, of course, against Frank Lampard's uh, Chelsea. But 
yeah, it's a, it's a big one to start with, but not necessarily a daunting one. I think Everton, I mean, it's, it's August, so I don't know how dark it's going to be, but, you know, an, an evening kickoff perhaps favouring the Blues there and everyone um, be up for that one regardless. I mean, everyone obviously seems to have their ideas, don't you? They, they look at the fixtures and then they say, oh, that's, they, they, they've just, you know, it has to be one or the other. Either it's a good start or it's a bad start. It's an easy start or it's a tough start. And if things don't work out, the way that they envisaged, um, and they, they start panicking. I mean, a lot of people have, have deemed this to be a bad start, stroke, tough start forever. And, and, and um, I think, well, they've just finished 16th with the lowest equivalent points total in the entire club's history um, joint with 2004. So I think Everton could never be whoever they were handed in these opening fixtures go, oh, well, uh, we'll, we'll steamroll of these and, you know, they'll be top of the table come September. Um that was never going to be the case, but I don't think there's anything. Uh, looking at the fixtures as a whole for the season, there's no one sort of month that you look at and you're like, oh, that's absolutely terrible or it's really daunting. Obviously, the more there are what deemed to be on paper tougher periods than other ones, but I think it, it, it is. It is we, none of us can really predict what sort of form the team or any of their opponents are going to be come you know mid season and uh, let alone next May. And obviously, you've got the First ever um, break mid-season for two months because of the first ever Winter World Cup to throw into the mix as well. So we don't know how it's going to um, pan out. But yeah, people have deemed it. Some people have deemed it to be a, a difficult start for Everton. But I'd, I'd, I'd not too, I wouldn't say I'm not I'm concerned. Obviously, Everton are going to be up against it as, as coming on the back of the season they just had. But I didn't look at it and go, oh dear, this is, this is terrible or anything like that. I think it's one to, to take in their stride. Well, rest assured, Everton fans, we've got nothing to worry about to start the season. Chris Beatty mm-hmm. has spoken. <laughs> but Gav, it's two home games and three away games for the Blues in the month of August before Liverpool, Arsenal and West Ham lie away in September. Are you on the same page as B's there in terms of just the start or are you one of them look at that thinking that's tough and, and Frank Lampard's going to need to graft, graft hard to get to pick up points in, in that run? Um, bit of both, really. I think, I think, I hope it is bright at 5.30 in the first mm-hmm. week in August. Chris, <laughs> <laughs> I hope we've got to show our shorts on more than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm with you a little bit on this, Conor. I'm a bit... Um, a lot of hype for no reason. Stuff, though. I, I get, get why, why people are interested. Don't, don't really know. My experience of this is the type of thing is your good runs... When you think of a good set of fixes, you don't do as well as what you'd expect. And when you've got a bad set of fixes, you do better than what you're expecting. Yeah. I think that's just the way things are set up. Um, so, yeah, you've got to play big teams, haven't you, sometime? You know, I'm, I'm, I was more interested in the fact that it's 16 time in 20 seasons, the first derby of the seasons at Goodison, rather than Anfield. That, that's, what always, that's the first thing I always look out for on yeah. the fixture list. And I did make a few inquiries last week on the uh, on social media. And this fella who claims to know the fellow who sets the fixture list alleged that uh, he, he does it, it comes out like that every year because he has the same templates every season and nobody's asked him to change it, um, which makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, I think I'm not, I don't really go for the good run and bad run, to be honest with you. Um, it takes. You know, early in the season would be a little bit unpredictable anyway, can't it? 
I was thinking, I'm more interested to see how this Christmas, uh, this World Cup break affects things, though. Because there's, there's, there's like quite a, a, a intense batch of games, isn't it? Before November and smaller squads may suffer. So I'm more interested in that, really. Just, but, just yeah, don't look that because it is really interesting, that, isn't it? Because the gap, I think it's six weeks before the last game, before the, the, the games restart, isn't it? In December. Now, obviously, there was a big thing made of, I know it was a lot different when the COVID pandemic hit, and I think it was nine weeks, wasn't it, between the, the last set of games and the first game back. But a lot of teams have had momentum going into them, you know, when the pandemic break come, never really hopped back that momentum when yeah. the game started. And once you struggled initially, were able to regroup over them nine weeks. You know, look at Aston Villa, for instance, they managed to stay up by the teeth yeah. and, and go again. So I think it, it's going to be interesting to see what position teams find themselves in and whether they're able after that six weeks. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. Go again and get themselves over the line. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the difference is not every player's going to the World Cup, is it? You know, people are affected, everybody's affected by the pandemic, some clubs more than others. But it'll just, it'll just be interesting to, to see the different dynamics of this season, how it affects players. And how, you know, we saw the post pandemic stuff, didn't we, where players are obviously unfit and. Whether that intensity of the games before November affects players and coming back after six weeks, because what, what will the players do who are not in World Cup squads over the six weeks? They're going to have to train, aren't they? All that type of stuff. But this, you're not match fitter. But so it's just being interesting to see what happens there. And I think that might might affect things. And obviously, the England requested that there was no top six games between each other in the week before the. They leave for the World Cup, which raised a few eyebrows in, in our house and all that. Mm. Yeah, so it's just going to be an incessant campaign, really. Um, it, I, I'm not sure what our fixtures, I suppose, when do you, trying to think aloud here, do you want a big team straight after the World Cup? Well, that is the... Is there only four days between the, the World Cup final and first set of fixtures. As somebody said, if you're the World Cup winner, I don't think they're going to be playing the first game when they come back. They'll probably be out celebrating somewhere. So there's, it's not just the start of this season, is it? It's it's the time before the World Cup. And after the World Cup, you've got to think about... But the, the first game's back are Boxing Day, aren't they? Evans first yeah. game is, is, is Boxing yeah, Day. Yeah, I think the finals. What's the final? The 21st or... Uh, 18 for this. 18 for this, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's not, not taking back, I suppose, as well. Yeah. So you've got sort of two seasons, haven't you? In one, so it's it's the games in Christmas as well. So yeah, it's just going to be a very interesting campaign, really. We like angle. Not, not not that I support the Winter World Cup, by the way. I think it's a shocking, uh, shocking yeah. idea for the we record. Gav has led me on beautifully there because he just mentioned it, and I was going to come to you and ask this because one member of our sports desk who's not with us today, Adam Jones, was particularly irate at the. Gareth Southgate's request and England's request for on the big six to face each other in the final weekend of matches before his squad assembles to go to Qatar. For all those Everton supporters out there who question the integrity of the Premier League and you know question the fact that the big six get favoured, a move like this does nothing to dis- to dislodge that myth, does it? Or to, to dislodge them claims and and if anything, kind of backs them up and, and there's a bit of truth there, isn't that the big the big clubs do get favoured and you know Gareth Southgate's Decision is, is is obviously been approved by the the Premier League bosses. 
yeah, it's it's absolutely incredible, isn't it? Really, you know, the the fix you're listening folks to not be able to do, you know, put personal requests in for what what games you you want there and then. And I just think you know, so all of a sudden we're putting the the best interests for the national team forward. It just seems particularly rich, really. You know, you know, could we not turn down? Said well, you know. Before the the World Cup, can we not have an away trip at Bournemouth? You know, like why does it work for certain clubs should not have that uh, that influence or, or the ability to have that? So we had <laughs> all those feelings that Evertonians do have about well, that kind of buys top six. It, it, it is really rammed home with with that. Really, it's, it's it's ridiculous. You know, the, the, if Liverpool would have played Manchester City that weekend or Arsenal would have played Tottenham. It's an intense game, but they're going to go into an intense World Cup schedule. You know, something like we've never seen before being played in the winter. I really, I don't understand it. You know, the fact that, as Gav rightly said, I think in is it October where there's something like six or seven rounds of Premier League games. The Champions Leagues is, I think, it's going to be all done by the group stages by early November. So, no, it, I, on on a sporting a sporting merit point of view, I, I don't think it's right at all. Willow, I'll stick with you for this next. Next park was there was some big news that came out of Everton yesterday, and that was the appointment of a new academy director. Paul Tate has also been promoted to under twenty three boss, and Leighton Baines has been named under eighteen boss. Obviously, a little bit of continuity there, but a fresh face at the, at the top. Obviously, Everton fans have been questioning and looking for you know long overdue shake up of the club's academy system, and this is a step in the right direction, isn't it, from, from Kevin Farewell? Yeah, he he certainly seems to be uh, getting his feet under the table, doesn't he, in terms of the appointments he's made, obviously splitting the main role from what David Under have had a dual role. He's got that boxed off. Leighton Bain seems to impress everyone. As, as it's not really that surprising. So he's got a chance to go onto the coaching pathway properly now. But quite interesting. I know Adam did a, a piece earlier in the week, the fact that they're, they're doing like a, an analytical role for the academy and the fact that they're going to have a loans pathway manager as well. You know, as, as sad as it is to say, working at the Echo, we, we know how the you know the team across the park have been working off the field in recent years and we've become accustomed to some of these roles but it does seem like the academies if not modernized but there's definitely you know there's definitely a new way of working there and it, it it's it's going to be so important now you know to get these appointments right because if we have if we are going into a different era where money is no longer an objective machinery is to, to stay around that is uh now more than ever, the academy is going to be so important. We've seen, we've seen, we've Anthony Gordon the progress he's made last season, but we're going to need more of them. You know, probably over the last few years, there's probably not been anywhere. You know, after Barkley, I don't know if I'm right in saying this. After Barkley, up until Gordon, there's probably no one who's been up to that required standard. Tom Davis has obviously had his moments, no question about that. But there's still question marks over whether he's a long-term Everton and Premier League player. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm quietly encouraged. From what Fellwell's doing and the three appointments, he knows Prosser. Looks like he's got an excellent background. He's got a good CV, and Paul Tate has worked his well up, way up through the academy. And as I say, everyone knows about Leighton Baines. What a fantastic player! What a, a good guy he seems, and he seems like he is going on the coaching pathway as well. So yeah, it sounds encouraging. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Bees, obviously, you know Gareth. Prosser was the big appointment in terms of taking the academy director role and being the man trusted with, you know, developing and coming up with strategy for Everton's Academy. We'd also piece last night's ball, you know, Leighton Baines and his roles under 18 as coach. And yeah. there really isn't any kind of better mentor as the for young lads to look up to 
and be inspired by them than Leighton Baines. Yeah, um, three very different characters there because obviously you've you've got um, Leighton Baines who's coming into it, the, you know, the Premier League player, but um, relatively new to the coaching side of things. Although he has been doing this for two years now behind the scenes, Everton's youngsters. See uh, Paul Tate, uh, very much a long-serving Everton academy man at various levels, and then <clears throat> Gareth Prosser, um, the outsider who comes in, but then somebody who has worked. Um, with uh, the director of um, football, Kevin Pellwell, previously and very successfully at Wolverhampton Wanderers. So it's a, a nice balance, it would seem. Leighton Baines, yeah, absolutely terrific. What, what an inspirational figure he was. And, you know, somebody who would never sort of fall into that narrow, tight cast of, of footballers that um, sometimes ourselves in the media can be um, guilty of um, putting pigeonhole in them. He's always done things his, his own way, but, you know, I'd, a local lad, and it's interesting with Leighton's own story. You know the fact that he was let go as a teenager by Everton, um, established himself as a youngster at Wigan Athletic, and then ended up coming back to Everton for what was a club record fee for a defender at, at the time back in 2007 when they paid six million for him. So I guess he's tasked with making sure he doesn't let other ones like himself slip through the net, and that, that Everton are actually able to nurture them, develop a pathway for them to that first team rather than like himself, ended up having to, to leave and then come back f for a lot of money. So um, if anyone's going to be able to do that, hopefully um, uh, Leighton's the man. Um, obviously, there's a huge attrition rate um, and new football as well. He doesn't have to just deal with the ones who do make it in the stars of tomorrow. Um, he'll have to obviously deal with the, 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 the many lads who, who, who don't. Um, obviously, have their, their dreams come true, but I think he's the sort of thinking man who would hopefully help on, on that score as well. So I'd, uh, I welcome the appointment. And I guess if Everton were just to get one other player of Leighton Baines' calibre to sort of progress to the first team uh, under his uh, his stewardship, well, it'd be, a, it'd be an appointment which is uh, thoroughly uh, vindicated. Gav, obviously, Bees has just touched on there in terms of two internal appointments, but for an outside in, in Gareth Prosser to come in, Obviously, you know, it's Kevin Felber from the, the time together at Wolves. But it's something that fans have been crying out for for a long time. An outside figure to come in and look to, re you know, reboot and, and give things a bit of a, a shake-up because, you know, for, for a long time, it's been one of the most pointed out points on our list. It was, that it was always internal appointments. It was always people from within the club who, who kind of got these roles. Yeah, yeah. I'm fascinated as what was he? Professional game, academy audit. Manager as well, which involved going around all the the academies in the in the country. So I would have picked up experience there as well, wouldn't he? And sort of a lot of outside knowledge. Yeah, I can only be supportive of all these moves. To be honest with you, I think it's good to see Tellwell, you know, putting his stamp on proceedings, um, being a leader. His work with Pross before, and that that's that's good, I would say. And I, I like it, it's funny one late, isn't he? Really, for somebody, I think it was pretty much uh, well known that I don't think he wanted any involvement in football when he finished. I think mm -hmm. it was the source of received wisdom, wasn't it? He sort of climbed yeah. up the greasy pole already quite quickly um, in in his two years. So it'd be interesting to see Leighton's development. I think. Out of, out of that group, but yeah, you can you can see far more uh, clear structure of people being in charge and people being uh, you know the director, academy director, and also Tawell being 
director of football will oversight over everything in the in the club, which I don't think has necessarily been the case before whoever you've had in that role. So that's that's good to see. And I can only qualify that by saying, to, for me, academy football, you've got to get the talent in in the first place. You have the best academy in the world, but if you don't get the right, right kids, you know, in the gateway, as it were, then I, I think you're struggling. We've got to get the recruitment right at, you know, an early age. So that, that to me, is, is, is still the priority. So, yeah, we'll see. But that, that's good. It's good to see. Uh, good to see a structure, good to see, uh, as I say, a bit of outside thinking coming in and um, hopefully this is the start of something different to what we've had before. And I think, as I say, Adam, there's still three or four rows still to be filled as well is within that group, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I'm uh, very pleased. Just before we finish, gents, very quickly, because it's still the talk of a lot of Evertonians and the, the main talking point when Blues meet up at the minute. Bees take over talk. It's all gone very quiet, hasn't it? After you know, ten days of, yeah. of all kinds of reports and figures being thrown about and etc. It's all gone very quiet. Does this lead towards a takeover, or do you think this is you know things that kind of even themselves out and we'll we'll get a clear picture in the coming weeks? Well, uh, I think it was it was all obviously foisted upon us very quickly and unexpectedly at the, at the time. Um, um, these talks have obviously been going on for a prolonged period, but uh, my, it's my understanding that even um, senior figures um, within the Goodison Park um, corridors of power, other than Mr. Mashiri, only became um, privy to this information a few days before um, ourselves. So it was sort of um, very quickly um, appeared, uh, like I said, less than a week after Mr. Mashiri had, uh, had written his open letter to, to the fans and uh, as Gav alluded to, possibly said goodbye in a way with, with his, uh, his apology. Um, and then we, we, we were aware that these talks had um, progressed from initial talks over investment in the stadium to full-blown uh, potential takeover. Um, it's going to be a slow process either way, whether Mr. Mashiri ends up retaining control or whether one of these um, consortiums, and, and we believe the one headed by Peter Kenyon is the one um, um, that's obviously at the forefront at the moment, whether then uh, do end up taking control. It's not going to be done overnight. It's going to be a lengthy process. And we just hope that you know, they, Everton can continue functioning properly in, in the meantime, because um, it's not in anybody's interest, and certainly not Mr. Mashiri's, to have any sort of season akin to the one they've just come out of. Um, uh, like I said, that, that maybe the hands are tied to a certain extent with the financial fair play, but um, he's got to make sure that the team are competitive on the on the pitch next season, and uh, also that everything continues as, as it is. Uh, thankfully, the one thing that is going swimmingly at the club and on track the, the, the new stadium, because I believe whether Mr. Mashiri's in charge or not, he is. Um, he's 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 pledged to making sure that 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 happens and um that will obviously have to be taken into account when anybody takes over yeah so we had that initial flurry with the you know the, the bombshell as it were that the the club uh, were potentially up for sale but now it could actually be a, a long and drawn out um, process and I'd, I'd welcome any input from uh, if, if, if mr kenyon or any of his consortium want to come and speak to us at the echo i'm sure there are thousands of our readers who who, who want to know what their intentions are and what their, their plans for the club um would be because it, it, it not only would be fascinating, but obviously people uh, have, have an interest and a concern to know um, who are these people who want to take over Everton and uh, what do they intend to do. 
Well, I'm sure Peter Kenyon is consorting bees that haven't listened to the Roblox podcast. <laughs> we, we make sure yeah, that... they're interested too. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're missing out if they're not, aren't they? They're missing out. Yeah. I can't just, just to finish, and I'll come to you. And bees made a good point there, doesn't he? Because no matter what is going on off the pitch and the talk over, Everton can't lose sight, can they, of, of what he's doing on the pitch and, and how they need to make things right this time around because, you know, they can't afford... We've said it enough, haven't we? They can't afford another season like last season because, you know... You, you do well, aren't you, for avoid it twice, given how bad they were at times last season? Yeah, I think I said at the start of last season, it was the most important season in <laughs> living memory for me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, repeat the same. Um, yeah, I mean, go back to what we were saying at the start. You know, I, I, the one thing I would say is, and this is probably decent news for Frank is, He's probably got the lowest expectations of any Everton manager since Moyes went into the 04-05 season in terms of where we finish. Yeah. So I think that's actually quite good good news for Frank and probably good news for supporters, to be fair. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you you can't say, okay, so... Do nothing. We'll just be happy to stay 17th or whatever, 16th. Better, but I can only go back to what we said at the start. It's got to sell somebody. You know, that's the recurring theme of this pod, isn't it, really? Yeah. So let's see what happens. Gents, we will leave things there. Thank you very much for your time and joining me. To, I think you've chewed the fat over enough of the goings on at Everton. But don't worry, listeners, we will be back next week because as what's been the case since the season finished, there's always something going on at Goodison Park. Yeah. There'll be transfers, <laughs> incoming staff, staff outgoings, takeover talk, fixture talk, you name it. It's all going on at Everton. And we'll be back next week for another edition of the Royal Blue Podcast. But thank you very much for listening this afternoon. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.